Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of FF Plus, your outlet for weekly reviews that are simple, short, and spoiler-free. I'm your host, Aaron White, and this episode is a fun one. I've got not only a review of an upcoming new film, but attached to that, an interview with that film's director, which I'm excited for you to get a chance to hear. I had a great conversation with him, and I think that you're really going to enjoy that. One quick note before we get into the review, that is, don't forget to check out the shows on our network. That is Now Playing Network. You can find shows covering a gamut of different entertainment mediums, so be sure and check them all out at nowplayingnetwork.net. Well, enough of that. Let's get into the movie, Kandahar, from Open Road Films. It stars Gerard Butler, Navid Negaban, Ali Fazal, Travis Fimmel, Elnaz Naruzi, and Bahadur Faladi. It is directed by Rick Roman Waugh, and it is written by Rick Roman Waugh and Mitchell LaFortune. Cinematography is by McGregor, music by David Buckley. It runs 120 minutes and is rated R for violence and language. What's it about? A CIA operative and his translator flee from special forces in Afghanistan after exposing a covert mission. So the first thing I want to be upfront about is if you are following film releases for this year, you may know of another movie that I reviewed a few weeks back called Guy Ritchie's The Covenant, which is a story of a man played by Jake Gyllenhaal, a U.S. Marine who has his life saved by his Afghan interpreter and then tries to return the favor once his interpreter has gone on the run from the local Taliban. This is not the same story. So I made a joke about it on my own Letterboxd account about Afghan interpreters being really all the rage right now. But it's important to understand that this is not just a rehash of what you saw in The Covenant even though there is an Afghan interpreter who is one of the two main characters. So the story, Gerard Butler's character, his name is Tom Harris. He is a CIA agent running black ops, doing intel, and he secretly is planting a virus into some internet lines in order to take down a hidden nuclear facility in Iran. That is the trigger event for everything that's going to happen in the movie. That doesn't go according to plan entirely. The cover gets blown unbeknownst to him at the beginning. The character he plays is really not an action star like some other previous Gerard Butler characters. He is calm and quick thinking under pressure. He definitely has the ability to get himself out of situations, and we see that at times, but this is not the kind of movie where he is going to be running and gunning at all time. It's not a traditional sort of a war picture like that. The thing that Rick Roman Waugh has been very good at doing in his filmography over the years is really highlighting human stories. I like to call them melodramatic thrillers. That's where his bread and butter is. And he gets into these characters on a much deeper level than a lot of war films are willing to kind of explore. It's typical for a Gerard Butler character 
he's actually supposed to be making his way home to be there for his daughter's graduation. And he has an estranged wife. And of course, that's weighing on him as he's over here, separated from them in the Middle East doing his job. It's funny because I felt it was, you know, almost identical in some ways to the setup of a previous Gerard Butler movie from this year called Plane, where he is intending to get to his child for an event and gets distracted because of something that goes bad. And then even in in some other films like Greenland and Den of Thieves, we've seen him dealing with estranged marriages and children in various ways. I love that about Gerard Butler and the characters he plays. I think that's part of why we love him is because he is enough of a badass action star, but he feels somewhat relatable as well. Someone that we can kind of latch on to and say, I get that guy. It can really draw you into a story. The movie spends a good amount of time setting up organizations and other forces and players that are going to be part of the the primary mission here, which is Gerard Butler's character, Tom Harris, is going into Afghanistan to accomplish something that I won't tell you what it is. He gets hooked up with a translator named Mo, played by Navid Negabon, who is only back in the Middle East because he is there. To, he wants to find his wife's missing sister. He had previously gotten out of the Middle East after serving as a translator, and now he's back. But he gets up hooked up with Tom. They go in, and all of these forces start to converge on him. You've got Iranians who want to execute him for the stuff that happened at the beginning of the movie. You've got spies for the Pakistani ISI. You've got Taliban. There's all of these constant threats that all want him for various reasons. Some may want to execute him. Some may want to capture him and sell him. Others want to interrogate him and get information. And that's where the bulk of the film takes place, is with the two of them in country, being chased, trying to make their way to a safe house in Kandahar to get out of this thing alive. And through the course of that adventure, they become close. We learn about Mo and his motivations more deeply. We get to kind of explore a little bit about PTSD and the feelings that they have surrounding what their role is in this war and whether or not there is a way for them to ever have peace from it. It's a good, solid, dramatic movie. I wouldn't call this an action film. There are a few scenes of action in this. There is one particular standout sequence, which I actually talk about with Rick Roman Wall in the interview you're going to listen to next, if you, if you choose to do that, where there is a helicopter chase at night. And the film uses night vision and a sort of uh, different kind of camera tricks to really heighten this whole sequence. It's quite long. It is action-packed. It is tense. It looks amazing. And then there are a couple of other moments of hand-to-hand combat and some bigger kind of widespread conflicts that involve small armies of men on different sides. And that's really what you're getting here. I I don't think this is anything fantastic. 
So uh, sorry to say I, I do like it. I did enjoy it quite a bit. I am a fan of Rick Romanois movies, as I mentioned, overall. And I think that his style is something that has a high floor for me because I get to enjoy character and characters in some of these type of situations that I like, which is war films or sports or disaster events and seeing how people might actually act and and what the toll is on them emotionally and mentally. It's not just about them overcoming something because of their physicality. So it looks really good. Uh, It sounds good. And I think it's worth your time for sure. But it is not like the next great Gerard Butler actioner. And I think that setting that expectation is important and will help with your potential enjoyment of this film. So Kandahar is going to be in theaters on May 26th. If you check it out, let me know what you think. And now, here is my interview with director Rick Roman Waugh for Kandahar. All right. Well, hi, Rick. Thank you for uh, making some time to speak with me. This is a, this is great. I'm a big fan. So I'll admit straight off the top here, I'm a little biased. I like your movies quite a bit. Thank you. I did not know this, and I'm wondering if my listeners are going to know this, but I only learned recently that you actually had this really prolific career prior to being a director where you were doing stunt work in the 80s and 90s for a ton of what were my favorite movies. And I just wondered, was directing something that you had always wanted to do and that was a path toward, or was it something that you kind of gained a desire for along the way? And maybe also kind of how does your stunt work career, how has that informed the directorial choices that you've been making? Well, the interesting thing about it, yes, I grew up in the business, in the stunt business. My father was, you know, considered one of the top 10 in the world, you know, back in the pioneer days of when everything came up. And it was a great proving ground. It was a great place to be on set and watch how it worked. But up until my late teens, you know, I I was going to be a stuntman. That's all I ever wanted to do. And I got the chance to work with an amazing man that became a great mentor of mine is Tony Scott. And I did a number of movies with Tony and he was always the type of guy that would give you the time of day and talk to you. And when you ask questions, he wouldn't go get, get away from me, kid. You know, he would really take his time and understand it. And the two things that Tony always preached, and I think he lived it was die by your own sword, meaning don't emulate others, be your own brand, be bold to the, what you're telling and, and and be okay with it if you fall all flat on your face. And so when you watched a Tony Scott movie, you knew it was a Tony Scott movie. It was very, very specific. And I think it's the hardest advice to get, but it was the best advice I ever got. And it's what gave me the bug of finding my place in the sandbox. I'm just not built to be in front of the camera. It's not my place. And But I loved what the director was about and, story, and that part of storytelling. And then writing became another part of it that I just loved. I always loved um, literature and, and, um, and, and, you know, and even coming up through, you know, my English classes and so forth. And it all just came together. But the big thing that stunts gave me is it made me the full package because I knew all about filmmaking, but until I was working above the line and writing movies for studios and so forth, I only knew how to put a movie together, but I didn't understand the creative side. So once I understood the creative side, I had this war chest of knowledge about how to actually actualize that and make it happen. So for Kandahar, it was an amazing experience for me because I grew up in the business in a way that 
we went to a town and we pitched our tents because there was no infrastructure. There was no tax incentives. We just went to work. Everybody came there, right? And we live in a world today for better or for worse that we have tax incentives, you know, that kind of dictate where we go. And, you know, for better or for worse, half of those people don't really quite care what they're working on. It's a job. And they're going to go home that night to their families, not to back to the hotel or where everybody else is staying. And if a better thing comes along, they're going to take it. But, you know, we brought 450 people to Saudi Arabia from 25 countries around the world all wow. religions, both genders, sexual orientation, you name it. And it was this huge melting pot in the middle of the Arabian desert. And we just had the greatest time and not one person quit. They were all there for a reason. They all felt like they were a part of something really important. Important is a big word, but something that felt like it was going to be fun to tell and really do something different for the region, you know, the Sakari of the Middle East. And there were a lot of emotional people at the end of it. It was a, a really, the the making of was as extraordinary as getting to make something like this, just the, just being a part of that process. Oh, that's awesome. That answers a question I had too, which was, was it on location? So there you go. Actually in Saudi Arabia, I guess that's why it looks so authentic. <laughs> because... Yeah, we didn't, we, 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 we were not in New Mexico. <laughs> no, no, definitely <laughs> not. Real deal. Well, something you actually said there about learning from Tony touches on a, another question I had, which was, do you feel like you have developed a style? I, I will tell you, I call your movies melodramatic thrillers. And I mean, I'm even a big fan of National Champions. So I know it's kind of sets a little bit apart from maybe some of the style of your other films or the, the content, the type of movies. But I just really enjoy that you tend to focus on the human moments between characters, even though people might look at your posters for your movies or the synopsises and go, oh, this guy's an action director, but you seem to really pick your spots. Is all of this very intentional for you? Yes, is the answer. When I made, I can't remember, it was fel it was either Felon, Snitch, or Shot Call. It was right in the middle of that run when I did the three prison movies. And I was on a panel with Eugene Jarecki, who's a, a great documentarian. And he had just done something on prison reform as a documentary. And I remember kind of commiserating with him going, God, I would just love to get in the weeds like you, man. You get to go so much deeper into your stories, but I got this, you know, there's a responsibility of telling the entertainment side of it too, of hiding the peas and the mashed potatoes, creating a great, hopefully a great form of entertainment, but having something to say and in it. And he's like, yeah, but that's the difference. You get to be on 3000 theaters. I'm in a library, you know, begging somebody to come see it. And I got it. I understood that. And it's, 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 I love that what I do, and I have a responsibility, a financial responsibility of the movies that I'm making, but I'm always looking at the humanity of stuff. And if you look at every one of my movies, to me, there's no antagonists. They're always what the subject matter is about. It's either a prison, the NCAA, a comet coming to get you. And in this case, it's the cycle of violence in a region that's been like that for centuries. And it just keeps changing sides. But I wanted to show the human cost, the humanity of the region, that even the people in this divisive world that we live in, that even the people that we don't agree upon, even the people that we think that could be coming to get us, they're still just trying to get home to their families too. You know, and that yeah. was really important to me. Yeah, I like that too. And, you know, you had a lot of different organizations and agencies that you pulled from for characters in this film, you know, whether it was the CIA or the ISI or the mm -hmm. Taliban. And I know you worked with Mitchell LaFortune, who I believe was a former military intelligence officer. Is that correct? That is correct. He was, was 10 years in the DIA. 
Okay. What was that like collaboration like for you in the, in the writing process? How much did he bring to making this story really feel authentic? Like, like the setting? Well, Mitch, Mitch brought everything, you know, he, he lived this and it was inspired on true events. He was in Herat, Afghanistan for a number of years. And he, the first script that I read of his was this script. And it was, we had just worked on Can uh, Greenland together. I brought him on Greenland and we were doing work together. And then Basil Iwanek, who produced that movie, said, have you ever read Mitch's script? At the time it was called Burn Run. And, um, and when I read it, I just flipped over it because it humanized the Middle East in a way that I'd never seen before. But what was ironic, and I think really made the movie even more kind of original and unique, is while we were starting to prep the movie in Saudi Arabia, and him giving me all the specifics about the region and how things work, the U.S. withdrawal happened out of nowhere. All oh. the Allied forces pulled out, and we had to completely rewrite the script. But at the same time, I watched Mitch, who put 10 years of his life into that war, and all the people that I know in the veteran community that I, try, I support as much as I possibly can, what the fuck were the last 20 years for? You know what yeah. I mean? Like, why did all my friends die? Why did the people that we left behind, what's going to happen to them? Why do I not know my son or daughter because I spent more time overseas than I with them. And it became a very common theme that we wanted the movie to be about, which is that it's more about all is lost. If the last 20 years were all for nothing, are we just back to going to scratch now? And where does that pick up? You know, the where do we pick up the pieces? A man like uh, Tom, like the Jerry Butler plays, that's addicted to, he's addicted to war. It's the only thing he knows is that's his drug. That's his heroin, right? Is getting into the action of it. And other people that are just, now fighting for that land grab and how they're going to, you know, cut up and pick apart Afghanistan, but how they're just doing their jobs and they're not policymakers. They're the enforcers that have to go do their job. So it was interesting to get his perspective on it. But the other thing that was really amazing for me was being a Westerner coming to the Middle East and just really paying attention. And that's Tony Scott's my own father that always said, pay attention to your surroundings and absorb what is happening. And it was those details of watching how the entire Middle East region is kind of like the America right now, where there's the conservative movement versus the progressive movement. And that is very indicative of what's going on in the Middle East. You have the ultra conservatives that do not want anything to change over the last, you know, hundred millions of years. And there's a progressive movement now that is trying to do everything differently. You know, a young kid, like a young ISI operator, like Cahill Ali Fazal plays coming out of a madrasa and suddenly having a vape pen and Gucci sunglasses while yeah. he's talking to his boss, who's hearing the call to prayer. And he's dev a devout man that's staying, you know, that's staying devout. But yet our guy jumps in a Range Rover listening to hip hop. That's not gratuitous. That is real. That's exactly yeah. what is happening over there right now. And so we wanted those layers to really come into the details of this movie finally being a movie where the Middle East can go, yeah, see, this is what we are. This is what's going on. The way Sicario showed the drug war in, Amer in, in Mexico. That's a great comparison. I, I like that. And, and I actually am a vet myself who's 15 and a half years plus, and I've been over there and I can say for sure it is absolutely like that now. Thank you. You're welcome. Did you have an intention of, I don't want to say that a mess, I hate the words message movie. Okay. So I'm going to preface this with that, but it feels pointed that your script or you, you and Mitch's script is kind of trying to say that we didn't treat our interpreters well enough. And it's it's interesting because this comes right on the heels of Guy Ritchie's movie, which has a very similar kind of not not the stories. The stories are very different. I hope people understand that and don't think they're just getting the same movie because they're different movies. 
but they do both seem to have a healthy respect for the Afghan interpreters. Was that a, an intentional point you wanted to make? Not as specific as their movie. Their movie was about an interpreter. What I wanted the movie in, and I'm okay with message. What I don't want is I don't want you to, I don't want to tell you my opinion. I don't want to beat you over the head and put, put on, get on my own little soapbox and tell you what I think about prison reform, what I think about in this change, what's going to fix the Middle East. What I wanted to show was warts and all from a lens of people that are of such as yourself that we go into these countries and we're doing the greater good and lives are disrupted. And then when we pull out, we're leaving a whole place in ruins where it's all is lost. It was less about the interpreter. It was more about the whole region itself, right? It was what Vietnam, it was, it's about Iraq. It's about Afghanistan. What's going on in Ukraine? What, what's going to happen to that country when all of this is over and said and done, even if they win, you know, um, against Russia, it has much more about the human costs and the human toil. And I think a lot of the, I'm not speaking for you, um, but a lot of the veterans that I know and that I've talked to and that I do as much support as I possibly can, including my documentary on a, you know, Delta Force operator, that, that which I love destroys me, is that I think a lot of people see over there on the television screen. So there's looking at something that is like voyeurism, that is just a piece of like war something going on. They see a building collapse, somebody coming out with their baby crying. But that's not somebody I know and I have no emotional attachment. I wanted, I, I wanted this movie to kind of, the message of it is, Remember the human cost. Remember the human toil and the human carnage that happens in war. War is a necessary thing. There are, there are bad people that need to be taken down, but never forget the things that we go through. I wanted the movie to be a bit bigger on that of, to even have empathy for the people chasing me. And I remember a lot of the guys that I talked to had talked about that, that they knew that even the guys they were fighting were not the policymakers. They were just there yeah. doing, you know, enforcing the policy that they were given and that yeah, they understood that. Totally. I love it because I think about that all the time. You think about like, oh, the stormtroopers, stormtroopers are just, they're just going to work. <laughs> they don't choose yeah. who they're attacking. And, and that goes through any type of story in general. Yeah. So this is your third film now with Gerard Butler. I love that you call him Jerry. I refuse to do that. Uh, I don't know him well <laughs> enough to, to go there. But uh, Mr. Gerard Butler, one of our, our just most beloved stars. And as I understand it, you have two more in the works with him for sequels for the Fallen series and Greenland both. Has he become your muse? Just tell me what has been drawing you to continue working together and what's that like? Well, the three movies that we've done, what I like is that we never did the same character. Like the very first movie was fun and he and I talked about it with Angel Has Fallen is, I said, let's reinvent this franchise in a way of what the 70s and the 50s did, which is our hair, our characters were real they were relatable they weren't 10 feet tall and bulletproof they weren't impervious to pain they weren't flawless they were damaged individuals that had their own demons you know bullets hit them and they fucking hurt you know and a lot of them died and and let's get back to that and he loved it I was like let's go into pain pills mike banning is is addicted to addicted to pain pills because he is a man that is trying not to hang up the gun and he's trying to um, beat his own mortality how many of us can relate to that if you're if you're an athlete if you're uh, um, a first responder, military, it doesn't matter, right? We all, we all, when we do physical jobs are trying to beat our own mortality. I'm doing it to this day, you know? And, but it was fun to play that version of an action guy, right? And then to do Greenland where there's no action hero is there's nothing but a normal man that has no special skills, nothing. He just has his heart and his integrity and trying to um, to atone for a failed marriage, you know, and come to terms with that and deal with it. What Kandahar did is it put it all together. 
That, and yeah. that's what I loved it for him is Kandahar did it where he was never an action hero. He was a man of action. He did have special skills as an operator would at that level, but he came from a human point of view of it and came to terms of this is what we do. We come here and we tell you what to do that like so many of the veterans that I know are really, you know, upset about what happened. And I wanted some of that lens to come through with him, but I love the fact that he never he never, at least I hope so, that he never comes off as an action hero. He comes out of, as, as a real man of uh, that's within action, has special skills, but also is lost, is lost in the fact that how many of uh, of, of your peers that were, you get into ad adrenaline addiction, right? It's the addiction to war. And a lot of people don't understand what happened with 9-11. If you have people going through cycles more than ever in history of war, and that they get uh, that that addiction is very real. It's not people running from war; they're trying to get back in it. Yeah, and we wanted to show that through his character. It's what they know. Yeah, yeah. That, speaking of, so, it's that's part of that is because of the lack of action. I think that it, he doesn't feel like an action star. He only have a couple moments where he's really even shooting things. But mm -hmm. the big set piece in this movie that is phenomenal. There's this lengthy dramatic sequence with a helicopter at night and. The helicopter's pursuing the protagonists. I won't give away the details of what happens, but you integrate night vision into this sequence. And I just thought it was stunning to look at. And I wanted to know how it was shot and how hard it was to effectively light this scene for both theater audiences and all the myriad of home setups that you're going to have to play on. I mean, it's got to be a challenge, but what was it like kind of crafting that sequence? The, the helicopter sequence was one, it was very dangerous because um, we were doing a lot of stuff in, 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 at night. And, but it was also, to me, it was always the, the theme of, the, of jaws in the sky. It was about people not realizing that when you can hear something and you can't see it, it's even more scary because you don't know where, it's, know where it's coming from. Visually, I didn't want the Middle East to look like the last 20 years of films where they were always you know, dirty, dusty, desaturated, really dismal looking. I wanted to show the beauty of the region, but how do you tell, how do you show the desert at night when it's pitch black in the desert? And that's where we came up with the idea of that not only is there normal infrared, the night vision that many countries use, including us, but that tier one now is using fusion technology, right? Which is mirroring um, infrared with thermal together and the fact that you can change your own color patterns and so forth. And I was like, there you go. Now I get to be Ansel Adams at night. I get <laughs> to do an Ansel Adams painting and show you the desert at night in a very, very different way. And so that was a fun kind of, you know, incubation period about how we would show the nighttime deserts versus seeing the huge um, light source in the sky. I wanted it to look like it was always under moonlight when it was dark, you know, and that you just saw like, what our own eyes see at night with the shadows of things around us. Mm -hmm. And then to punch in on the, on our Ansel Adams shots with the uh, fusion technology that, you know, that Jerry's character wears. Man, they're good. It's, it's so great. I, again, I think less is more and it, it hits harder and it's more impactful because it's not just a constant flow of action, 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 action. When, when that lengthy time happens, it is worth the wait. Oh, cool. Thank you. I'll do two quick ones to end one. I felt like you left this open and I just got to ask, do, did you, in, is the script written in a way that you may have further ideas for these characters if you, you know, in the future, or is that just me reading into things? No, I think we didn't do it on purpose to go, Oh my God, we got sequels to do, but we also didn't want it wrapped up in a neat little bow, right? Okay. Because that's not life. We wanted certain people not to die. 
and other people that need to perish and feel their pain. Like my thing was not to have any gratuitous death that we don't feel. And by the way, you know, we have somebody in the movie that you're pretty satisfied when that person dies, but there are other people that you're heartbroken because you saw them with their wife and their child and you understood that they were just trying to get back home too. So we wanted everything to have different kind of feelings of it, but also the mirror of not only our protagonist that Jerry plays, you know, Tom, but the Pakistani character who's kind of his mirror image, right? The hunter and the hunted. It's kind of like heat, right? They're not it's so different. Like at, the, yeah. at the end of the day, they're not so different. Yeah. Great. Well, on our podcast, we kind of approach things back from an emotional perspective. We, we really, really dig into feelings, hence the name Feeling Film. <laughs> um, we we really like to kind of just latch on to what a movie does to our emotions. And so we like to ask guests this question. Is there any movie that you can think of in recently that you've seen that evoked a strong emotional reaction from yourself? What what might come to mind? And it could be any emotion whatsoever, but just a movie that really got underneath your skin and made you feel something. Man, I just ran a blank. There are definitely movies that I always go back to and watch, but they're not recent movies, but they're movies that are very, Apocalypse Now is something okay. that will always, always get me. Um, Heat. The Blade Runner, you know, the original Blade Runner, um, you know, just there's so many great stories. But then other ones like Lion, you know, was an amazing, yeah. extraordinary movie, you know. So, um, yeah, I, 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 uh, uh, you know, and I mean, my wife and I laugh. I mean, because we there's no way we can watch Marley and me about the dog and Owen Wilson because that forget <laughs> about it. If you, you if your face yeah. feeling for film, there you go right there. Anybody that doesn't cry in that movie doesn't have a heart, doesn't understand animals. I agree. Totally. <laughs> well, thank you again for coming on. I really appreciate the time. This has been uh, awesome. Um, it's a, it's an honor to get to, to speak with you and I'm excited for what you're doing next. The news just dropped about cliffhanger two, and that's a favorite of mine. So, Oh, you're going to work with Sly. Let's, let's do it. The, the next evolution begins, my friend. We'll be, uh, we'll be back to talk about it. Sounds good. Well, best of luck with the movie release here coming up. Thanks, soon. Aaron. I appreciate your time, bud. All right. Thanks, Rick. Cheers. Well, that's it for this episode of FF Plus. Hopefully you enjoyed my review and also my conversation with Rick Romanois, the director of Kandahar. If you have been listening to the podcast and enjoying what you've heard, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen. Maybe drop us a few kind words as well in a review. Those help us out and encourage others to give the show a listen, which just makes us very, very happy. Makes me very happy. So if you'd like to contact me, you can always chat with me on social media. My social media handles are all linked to in the show notes of each and every episode. Regardless, most of all, we're just glad you're here. We hope you got something out of this episode. Until next time, keep watching and keep feeling filled.